0: Let's turn our Bibles to the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 19 this morning. 1 Kings, chapter number 19, verse number 1. Now, if you're familiar with the Word of God, you know that chapter 18 is a pivotal moment for the nation of Israel. They've been living in idolatry and in rebellion, but the prophet Elijah has met them on the battlefield of hearts and he has challenged them, to see whether the false god they had been worshipping, Baal, was God, or whether Jehovah, the God of Israel... Was God, And God had manifest His power and uh, sent fire from heaven, consumed the the sacrifice and the altar and everything. And then Elijah had taken and and slain the prophets of Baal uh, there by the brook Kidron. And now he is traveling back to Jezreel, the place where the palace was. And uh, the Bible says this, that Ahab, who's the king of Israel, told Jezebel. Jezebel is his wife. And Ahab may be the king, but she's really the one that's running things. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, saying, I'm going to kill you the way that you killed them. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abelmaholah shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel." all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Let's stop and pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for the Word of God. I pray you'd be with the family of those that are bereaved today. Lord, I pray that you'd be with those that are sick and unable to be with us. And I pray, Lord, most of all, that you'd be present in this service to minister, to work. Lord, I'll confess freely amongst you in heaven and these here gathered that I am insufficient, I am incapable, Lord. I can preach a message, but I cannot touch hearts. Lord, Lord, if anything is accomplished today, it's got to be accomplished through you. So I'm asking you to do a work in hearts that would bring you glory. If there's any that are lost, I pray they'd call on Christ and be eternally saved. And Lord, any that are maybe wavering, Lord, that the devil is pulling hard at them, I pray that they'd shore themselves up, that they'd recommit themselves to Christ. And Lord, that we'd go forward in strength and in courage to serve you in glory unto you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done. And we ask all this in Christ name. Amen. When you read this episode in the life of this man, Elijah, it stands as a tragic stain on an otherwise seemingly spotless line. If you go through the life of Elijah, there's really not a lot that's recorded about him. He walks out of obscurity and onto the pages of Scripture known only as Elijah the Tishbite. We don't know anything about his parents, his lineage. We don't really know anything about his history. We don't know his age. We don't know his experiences. And none of that is necessary for God to use him. Uh, He merely has to submit himself to the Lord and be a fit vessel for God's use. Aren't you glad this morning that God's more interested in your future than your past? Aren't you glad that no matter what you've been through, what you've gone through, no matter the things maybe you've done or neglected to do, that we can pick up today and go on for God and be used of God to do great things for Him? So much is not known about Elijah, and really of the details of Elijah's life as God's using him. There is sparse little information. We're not told much about his daily habits, but we have these uh, episodes, these glimpses into these moments when God uses him in a mighty way. And so there is seemingly an unbroken record in his life, excepting for this moment. I think we could maybe say that this moment is, as far as we know, the greatest failure in Elijah's life you think about what exactly happened at this moment and how this took place. I think that we would have to say that Elijah, I'll say a word about this in a moment, he was not a cowardly man, he was not somebody that was uninterested in the things of God. I mean, he's somebody that God had just been using in a mighty way, and yet he goes from both a literal and spiritual mountaintop to a valley place, to a place of despair and discouragement in seemingly just a few weeks' time. How did this happen in his life? I would say this this morning. We could call this moment a failure in Elijah's faithfulness. Can I tell you that the vast majority of the Christian life really boils down to faithfulness. If you won't be faithful to the Lord, to His Word, to His house, to His calling, then there's not much God can do with your life or with mine. By the same token, can I tell you that God is not interested in us being awesome. He doesn't necessarily need us to be talented. I know you look up here on this platform and you think that everybody to be used of God has to have the body of an Adonis and has to have the personality of the bright noonday sun. But I'm, I just want to encourage you a little bit in telling you that, that we don't all have to be as put together as I am. God doesn't need you. <laughs> Some of y'all are ducking for lightning bolts right now. God doesn't need you to be awesome. He needs you to be faithful. God doesn't need you to be talented. He needs you to be faithful. Uh, God doesn't need you to be smart. He needs you to be faithful. He doesn't need you to have a winning personality. In fact, far as we know, Elijah didn't seem to have any of these things. Or if he did, God didn't talk about him. But you know what he did have? Excepting this moment, he was faithful. There's no telling what God could do with your life if you get faithful to him. Elijah's moment lapse, failure of faithfulness is a great tragedy on an otherwise spotless testimony. And let's stop and consider what this failure of faithfulness meant. You know, I think we have a dangerous attitude sometimes in our life that our presence and our participation just simply doesn't matter. But you know, when you think about how this story could have gone had Elijah stayed in Jezreel and been faithful to God, I think we immediately see that faithfulness matters. Notice that Elijah's failure of faithfulness, it had dire effects. In fact, there's three types of effects we could just notice by way of introduction. Let me notice, number one, the effect it had on his ministry. While Elijah was in the wilderness, there was no prophet standing against Jezebel in Israel. The room of the prophet was vacant in his absence. Imagine for a moment what could have happened if Elijah had stayed in Jezreel and met the enemy on the field. Can I remind you of the context here? Israel has just wholesale turned back to God. They've slain hundreds of false prophets. They have essentially... It's their godless king off the mountaintop and they are hot on his heels rolling in to Jezreel. All Elijah would have had to have done was stood there, was held his nerve, would have been in his place. And no doubt everything could have gone different. Later on, he would go on to anoint Jehu to be king over Israel. But you know, some 20 years would pass before that day would come. And what a great tragedy. Elijah had all of Israel behind him. Ahab and Jezebel could have been cast out, and Jehu could have been crowned that very day. I'll tell you what happens when we have lapses of faithfulness. Here's what we often say. It could have been worse. But did it ever dawn on you it could have been better? You say, oh, preacher, somebody else step in. Somebody else this, somebody else that. Somebody else will do it. Somebody else will be present. Somebody." And there's some things that nobody else can... Hey, nobody can read your Bible for you. Nobody can pray in your place. Nobody, nobody can often witness in your place. But we always say, well, preacher, it could have been worse. But imagine how much better it could have been. It had an effect on his ministry. Number two, it had an effect on his testimony. Elijah, thankfully, is known more for his feats than his failures, but this story stands as a tragic stain on an otherwise devoted life. You know, failure isn't final, but it's not harmless either. I will tell you this, people will remember you for your unfaithfulness far more than for your faithfulness. A person can stand and you say, well, what a cruel world. How how severe people are. No, friend, that's just the nature of it. We notice things when they're different. Hey, listen, there's some folks you notice when they ain't there. Well, I'll just come over here and try them for a second. There's some folks you notice when they ain't there. There's some folks you worry when they ain't there. Hey, there's some folks when you notice all of a sudden their their joy is gone, you say, hey, something's messed up here. Hey, you know, there's some folks that, that whenever you bear a burden to them and they don't say nothing about praying for you, you notice that. Hey, listen, your unfaithfulness will be remembered long, long beyond your faithfulness. And oftentimes in Elijah's life, though, he is a man who by and large had a great testimony. I would venture to say that this moment has probably been preached on more than any other moment in Elijah's life. Your unfaithfulness unfaithful. Hey, it has an effect on your testimony. Has it ever dawned on you that you meet people when you're out? I don't mean out like, oh, out and about. I mean when you're out. When you're not faithful to the Lord, when you're not serving Him, when you're not living for Him, you meet people. And some of those people you ain't never going to meet again. I shudder to think the Toby Weber that some people have met that have seen me in those moments of disobedience, seen me in those moments of unfaithfulness, and yet that's the perspective that some people will only ever have of me. It had an effect on his ministry. It had an effect on his testimony. But then it had an effect on his legacy. Now, what I mean by that is not just merely how people remembered him, but what could have happened had he been obedient to the Lord. Elijah would this day anoint Jehu to the throne and Elisha to the ministry. Jehu would go on to cleanse the land of Baal worship far more thoroughly than Elijah did on that day. And Elisha would go on to perform twice the miracles that Elijah would. Whenever God says to him that those that escape the sword of Hazael, Jehu will slay, and those that escape the sword of Jehu, Elisha would slay, what He's saying is the Baal worshipers, the false prophets. He's saying... You think they're more than you, Elijah, but you're not the only one I've got on the job. And those that have escaped your sword are going to meet the sword of Hazael, the king over Syria. And they uh, that escape them will meet the sword of Jehu, the king over Israel. And if you read the history, Jehu goes on to completely thoroughly cleanse the land of Baal worship. And none of that could have happened if Elijah hadn't been willing to move past this moment of unfaithfulness and get up and go on to serve the Lord. The greatest achievements of Elijah's life would have never occurred if he hadn't gotten victory over this lapse of unfaithfulness. Elisha goes on to do twice the miracles Elijah did. In fact, it could be said that Elijah did more for God by getting up than he ever did by rising above what others did. He did more just through getting back up and going on and being faithful to God than he ever accomplished in the rest of his life Combine. You know, the great things you'll accomplish will be through faithfulness. You with me this morning? Come on, shake off that VBS hangover and help me preach. The greatest things you'll accomplish will be through a life of faithfulness. When we think about Elijah's life, you know, we like to imagine that unfaithful people have always been that way and that it could never happen to us. We like to think when we meet that person, you say, you go to church anywhere, they say, well, I used to. And you say, well, you used to. When was the last time you went? Well, it's been 15 years. We think they've always been that way. But can I just let you in on a little secret? I mean, listen, I, I've not been around long, but just long enough to see this. I've seen people that have been faithful for decades, uh, suffer a lapse of faithfulness, get out and never get back in. I've seen people, I'm talking about, serve God more than you and me combined. Get out and get messed up and twisted up. Get angry at God. Get angry at God's people. Get angry at church. And get out and get messed up. We like to think they had always been that way. And we like to imagine it could never happen to me. But Elijah's going to mess up your imagining. Because here's a man that had been faithful to God. Here's a man that would go on to be faithful to God. So what was it in this life? What what, what about Elijah's situation? Well, sometimes we think a person is unfaithful because of their cowardice. That they can't handle the difficulty of of serving the Lord. That they're scared of what it will cost them to serve God. But I tell you this, Elijah was a man that was no coward. He was courageous. This is the same man that had stepped in to the palace of that same king three years earlier, looked him dead in his eyes and said, there's gonna be a famine until God says there's no more famine. There's gonna be a drought until God says there'll be no more drought. This was a man that I think we would all agree is often known for his courage. And yet here we find him fleeing for his life. I would say this, sometimes we look at unfaithful people and this is the easy answer. We say, well, preacher, they're just lazy. They're just lazy. They're just lazy people. That's all it is. They just say, hey, don't want to get out of bed, or they just don't want to read their Bible too lazy to do it. They just don't want to pray. They're just too lazy, too lazy to witness. But you're going to have a hard time with that with Elijah. I would say this, that Elijah wasn't complacent. In fact, he had been consistent. For months, he had sat by that brook and obeyed the Lord. He had eight of the food that the ravens brought and drank of the brook. When God told him to go, he went. When God told him where, he followed. He was a man that had not been complacent. He was a man that had been consistent. We think to ourselves, preacher, I've always been faithful. There'll never be a time that I'm unfaithful. That ain't true. There's a lot of people that are faithful for a lot of years and then get out. You go out and knock on doors, you'll meet them, man. You go to church anywhere? Well, I'm a deacon down at such and such place. Really, what's your pastor's name? I don't know. I ain't been there in ten years. Now, they didn't get to be a deacon without going to church there at least a little bit. What happened? They were faithful. They were serving. And then all of a sudden, something changed. And here's what some people say. When we see someone unfaithful, we say, Why, preacher, they're just carnal. They just don't love God. They just don't love the Lord. They're just not interested in spiritual things. But I'd say this, Elijah, he wasn't carnal. He was consecrated. Man, this is a guy that wasn't living to pad his pocket. This is a guy that wasn't living so that he could enjoy the pleasures that this world has to offer. And you say, well, preacher, that makes it all a lot more complicated. No, it should make it all a lot more personal. Because it's real easy to say, well, now, preacher, I could never get out. I could never do that. It could never happen to me. But if it could happen to Elijah, it could happen to you and me. The question has to be asked this morning, how did it happen? What happened in Elijah's life that caused this? Somebody would say, well, preacher, it's obvious. This old wicked queen, she threatened to kill him. Yeah, but that's not a good enough answer. He had already, uh, Ahab had already been looking for him. Ahab had already been seeking his life. He knew his life was in danger. So why in this moment, and why when you see people that live a life of pattern, consistency and faithfulness, why do they have these lapses, these moments, when everything changes? I want you to notice three simple thoughts And I'll be done this morning. Let's say a word first off about the cause of his unfaithfulness. You know, the Word of God has all the answers. And if we look in the Word of God, the Word of God tells us exactly what happened. We're told that uh, whenever Ahab sends word forward, he tells Jezebel all that's happened. And Jezebel starts breathing out threatenings and and venom towards him. Verse number 2, Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow... About this time. And I'll tell you how I would have thought Elijah would have answered. I would have thought he would have said, well, you know where I'm at. (laughs) But instead, look what happens. When he saw that, he arose and went for his life. Something changed in Elijah. Notice, number one, his perspective changed. The Bible says when he saw that. Now, what does that mean when he saw that? Well, he didn't see anything. He has delivered a message. So what's he looking at? I'll tell you this, I think Elijah had been living a life of faith. He saw provision in a brook that was getting ready to run dry. He saw the ravens coming over the hill before they ever crested the peaks of the trees. He saw God providing for His people. He saw the repentance of Israel when it was not a reality. Through the eyes of faith, he had seen God do a bunch of wonderful things that God had then brought to fruition. But now all of a sudden, he has allowed fear to grip his heart. He's changed his perspective. He's not focusing on what God can do. He's focusing on what man can do. He's not focusing on God's promises. He is Focusing on man's failures, and that leads him to a place of unfaithfulness. Man, I can't tell you the numbers of people get all messed up and get out of church and say, what happened? Well, you know, things just, you know how churches go, whether folks just started fussing and fighting and this and that. Number one, don't you know people? Can I tell you something With, with a modicum of authority this morning? You know something about people? They don't get along. None of them. If people get along, it's by accident. I, the, let me tell you, I expect this to be the most peaceful week in Walridge's entire year. You know why? We're all just too flat tired to fight. But you know, the reality is man in their natural condition, man disagrees. There's conflict, there's fighting, there's discord, there's grief, there's disagreement. There's all these different things. But people say, well, you know, people started fighting. Or they'll say, well, you know, preacher got all messed up and this and that and everything. Let like, me Who are you going to church for? Who are you going to church for? I'll tell you this, man, if you're going to church to see or be seen, it ain't gonna be long, you're gonna be out. Uh, You reading your Bible. You reading your Bible. Who you reading it for? You say, well, some preacher said some things hurt my feelings. Number one, probably good. I ain't got no Bible to back that up, but I'm just gonna say probably good. But I understand there's unqualified men that stand up and warp and twist the Word of God and use it as a weapon against But I understand that. Who are you reading your Bible for? Uh, Preacher, I I prayed, I asked God to do something and God didn't do it. Where did God ever say that everything you ever prayed for you was going to get? You ought to know enough Bible to know that's not true. Well, preacher, I was witnessing somebody. Somebody hurt my feelings. Bless your heart. You mean a sinner acted like a sinner? Did you act like a saint? What I'm getting at is this. Hey, what is your focus on? When you get your focus on the wrong thing, invariably it will lead to a life of unfaithfulness. His perspective changed, then his priority changed. The Bible says this, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. Now this is amazing for a man that's just spent three years in the watch care of birds and widow women. Sounds to me like he has lived his life, not for self-preservation, but for the glory of God. His life has not been lived to make Elijah rich. It's not been lived to ensure his own security, to give him peace of mind, to be able to sleep at night and, and know that everything's going to be taken care of. He's been happy as a clam to sit by that brook, watching it dry up and say, now God, I don't know what you're getting ready to do, but my life is yours and I trust you with it. But now in this moment, it ain't about God anymore, it's about Elijah. Now he's saying I'm gonna to have to, I'm gonna to have to look out for number one. I'm gonna to have to watch out for me. And I have found invariably unfaithfulness is produced around self-centeredness. Amen. Let me tell you something. We have a God that's worthy of all of our time Amen. and all of our attention, all of our talents and treasures, all of the labor and effort we give Him. And the only time we think He's not is when we're putting ourselves above Him. In faithful unfaithfulness is inherently rooted in a self-centered perspective. We say, well, preacher, I've got to tend to me. I can't tend to the things of God. Ain't you read your Bible enough to know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. and All these things shall be added unto you. You see to His business, He'll see to your business. But you see to your business, you'll find out your business will fall to pieces. I say, preacher, what are you getting at? Your priority's got to be right. And, and, and I've seen it happen in a myriad of different ways. I've seen people get out on God. And, and I ain't just talking about church attendance, man. I mean, listen, I... The, the, I, I I have pastored long enough to know you ain't served by getting up and beating up the people that are there. It's not what I'm doing this morning. I understand. You're faithful. You're here today. You have a heart for God. Uh, But I'm saying that oftentimes, be at church attendance, reading your Bible, praying, witnessing to people, living a consecrated life, having grace with one another, whatever these things are. When I mean out, I don't just mean outside those doors. I mean outside of fellowship with Him. And when I see people get out of fellowship with Him, Oftentimes, sometimes it happens, kids get messed up. Sometimes it happens, kids just want to run and rule the home and they become the priority and not the Lord. Sometimes it happens, spouse gets messed up and gets angry. Sometimes somebody gets feelings hurt. Listen, I could write a, a, a list as long as my arm and you could write one twice as long. Of all the reasons you've heard people give, why they get out on God. But invariably, none of them is because God told them to. They don't say, well, I felt like I'd better serve God by quitting on Him. What's happened they prioritize themselves above him. Notice then his parting, verse number four. Now here's where I'm gonna give a little grace to Elijah and you and me. I've been where Elijah is. Lord, I you know, I gotta take care of me, I gotta look to me, I can't worry about you. I've got to look and and normally here's the good thing about it. We got the Holy Ghost living in us to jerk a knot in us when we get that attitude. But oftentimes now we've grieved the Holy Ghost and so I've had people around me sometimes uh, with grace, with kindness, with respect that have said, suck it up. What Elijah do? The Bible says, verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. Uh, In other words, the Bible goes on to tell us how he left his servant there and, and went even further into the wilderness. Here's what he's doing. He's isolating himself. Do you know why unfaithfulness is such a pit of quicksand? Because one of the things that keeps you faithful is other faithful people. You get out and there's nobody to encourage you. You get out and there's nobody. Ha- oh, I know. You got, your, you got your social media fan club of people to tell you and approve and clap for you. But you don't have nobody that loves you, that cares about your life enough that they'd be willing to tell you a truth you might get angry at them for that can help you stay straight. And so what happens? We push them away. Part of the reason, listen, you miss, it's going to be easier to miss the next time. You you don't read your Bible today, it's going to be easier to not read it tomorrow. You neglect your prayer life right now, it's going to be easier to neglect it later on. Invariably, when people begin to slip into unfaithfulness, they will push away godly influences in their life and try to isolate themselves unto themselves so that there's no accountability. Because guess what? Accountability ain't fun. Ask your Weight Watchers partner. It ain't fun. That's the nature of it but we need it in our life. I see his parting, but then, man, look at verse 4. Here's what he did. He requested for himself that he might die. Now, there's a lot there that we could talk about. He's still got enough about him that he's asking God's permission for something. Don't that tell you something about where his heart is? He knows what's right. He knows what he should be doing. He knows he don't have the authority just to take his own life. He requests for himself that he might die. And here's his reason. He said, it is enough. Now, it's funny. You'd think a man that thought he had enough authority to tell God when it's enough would have enough authority to go ahead and kill himself. But he doesn't. This is, uh, uh, I I can't say it. He's bragging. This is boasting. He's he's flexing. He's bowing up on God. And he says, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life. What's his reason? For I am not better than my father. How scandalous the thought. Elijah, that you would not be in a class all your own. You know, sometimes we don't even want to show up if it ain't about us. Somebody turn that air conditioner on just then? If it ain't all about us. Now, I, I would probably ask this question if I was a fly on the wall to Elijah's prayer here. I'd say, uh, 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 Mr. Elijah, whoever told you you were better than them? Where did it ever become part of the equation that you were better than them? He goes on to say and reinforce this later on in his complaint. He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. And the implication is no one else is. Here's here's how that translates to modern church language. Well, I'm the only one that cares. Well, I'm the only one that cares. I'm the only one that cares. You think you're the only one that cares? Listen, I and I got nobody in my crosshairs. I got, I'm got i too grateful for getting through a week of VBS. <laughs> but when we say, well, preacher, just nobody cares but me. No, now that's not true, and you know that's not true. You know that, that, that that's not the case. He says, I've been very jealous for Lord God of hosts, and nobody else cares. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. They're all wicked anyway. <laughs> Somebody's been reading my mail. Listen to, listen to that. Nobody cares. They're all a bunch of reprobates, God. I've been, man, I prayed that. But then what he says, and I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Time would fail us to describe everything wrong with the attitude and spirit of Elijah in this moment. But can I just notice one thing? And that's his pride. He speaks as a man whose pride is wounded. I'm the only one that cares. They're all wicked. They don't even, God, and you won't believe this, they don't even see how awesome I am. They're getting ready to take my life away and they don't even realize what a tragedy it will be for there to be a world without Elijah. You know, pride is often the source of unfaithfulness. I don't like that any better than you like it because I have moments of unfaithfulness in my life just like you have in your life. And I don't like, funny thing about it, pride, to be so prideful, don't really like to be singled out. We don't like to admit that it's our pride that is wounded. But oftentimes we look at it and we have one of two perspectives. I'm too important to lower myself to whatever God's called me to do. Or from a place of hostility and wound and hurt like Elijah is, I did that and I was not appreciated appropriately. He's saying, nobody noticed what I did. Nobody recognized what I did. We're going to find out later on that God knew what He did. God knew not only what He did, but what a bunch of other folks did as well. And Elijah had his perspective been correct, that would have been enough. It had been for three years. For three years he had dwelt much of that in solitude and the rest in obscurity, dwelling in a Gentile city where nobody knew or cared who Elijah was. And it was enough for him. I'd ask you this, if the praise of men was what you was doing it for, why would you do it for all those years when nobody noticed? The Lord was a good enough reason then. Why must we have the accolades of men? Elijah, I see the cause Amen. of his unfaithfulness. Number two, I see the crippling of his unfaithfulness. Here's what happened. Here's how we envision it. We envision that our life when we're out will be just like our life when we're in, except we'll be out instead of in. You ever been to a restaurant that has these outdoor patios? Uh, every once in a blue moon, I'm roped into sitting in an outdoor patio. And listen the God God has blessed us to live in a place with air conditioning. It's an offense to him to not use it when it's available. We're just throwing it in his face every once in a while, man, I'll always go and I'll sit and 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 we'll sit in one of these outdoor patios and uh Whenever we do, here's how I always think. I always think it's going to be the same out like it is in. I'm going to sit down and the waitress is going to come out. and Hey, sir, good to see you. Can I, what, what can I get you and everything? And I'm going to, everything's going to be where it needs to be on the table. And they're going to bring my food out and it's going to be wonderful and I'm going to sit there. And I just have this beautiful idyllic image in my mind. Call it self-delusion, but I do. And I'm thinking that's what it's going to be like. And it isn't that way. Instead, you're stuck out there. Nobody even tells your waitress for 40 minutes that you're out there. She comes out and is surprised, alarmed that they even have an outdoor patio. You sit down at your table and you, you ain't got no menu, your ketchup bottle's laying on the concrete down there, busted into a thousand pieces. Uh, everything's, nobody pays attention to the kids out on the patio, so the tops are all off, the salt and the pepper shaker and everything's just chaos and mess. You order your food and all of a sudden the wildlife is roaming through to try to eat off your plate but you thought it was going to be the same out as it was when he was in. But I'm sorry. Truth is, being out ain't like being in. We think to ourselves, well, preacher, I'll get out, but it'll be like it was when I got in. You tell yourself that, but that won't be the case. Here's what happened to Elijah when he got out. I noticed three things. Verse number four, the Bible says, he went he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. It's interesting, the Bible tells us that whenever God speaks to him and, 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 and tells him to arise and, and eat and has the food there waiting on him, it says that he looked. And that denotes, and I think he did probably get up, but it denotes the idea he's sleeping, he's shook awake, he gets up, he, he, he sort of glances out, he doesn't even have really the strength or the energy to get up. He's told later on that the journey is too great for thee. Elijah, you don't have the strength. I'd say it this way, number one. You know what unfaithfulness did? It weakened him. You think you'll be as strong a Christian out as you are when you're in, but you're wrong. I'm just telling you true. You're wrong. You won't be as strong. You think you're going to be as happy? You won't be as happy. You think you're going to have as much peace? you won't have as much peace. You think you'll be able to face the things you're facing out the same way that you're facing them when you're in, only with the headache uh, relieved of not having to deal with people. But the truth of the matter is, it's going to weaken you just like it weakened him. You think you're able. You think you're up to the task. But the truth is, none of us is up to the task. Uh, funny thing about it, church is not a small thing. The Word of God is not a small thing. Uh, the Spirit of God is not a small thing. These are not things because God just had them laying around heaven. He's cleaning out His attic and threw them our way. They're things that were bought at great price. Yes. Evidently, they matter. Hey, hey, the Lord loved the church and gave Himself for it. It must be pretty important. Hey, the Word of God uh, was uh, tried uh, like in a furnace of earth seven times. Great, hey, blood was shed for you to have your Bible. Must be pretty important. Hey, the Spirit of God and the right to prayer and intercession was purchased at Calvary's tree. Must be pretty important. These are not incidentals. These are things that are necessary for the Christian life. Unfaithfulness weakened Him and, and when we get out, We'll grow weaker too, we think it'll be just like it is and i I hear people say all kinds of dumb stuff uh, they'll say you know I hear people say all the time, well now preacher i'm not i i i'm I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. When people say that, what you're saying is you don't know what you are. You read that on the bottom of a sobe cap, and that has become your religion uh, th- There ain't no substance to that. Hey, listen, it, it, it weakened him. And then let me go on. I've got to, I enjoy church. I've got to go on. The Bible says in verse 3, he arose and went for his life. And then look at verse 4. I don't know if you noticed this. Now, here's a man. He arose and went for his life. Verse 4, he requested for himself that he might die. Something right there. This is a man that just fled for his life. What? To go 40 days into the wilderness, sit down and say, now God, kill me? Why would he do that? Well, here's what happened. When he went for his life, he didn't intend on winding up under the juniper tree. His unfaithfulness held him longer and took him farther than he thought it would. The classic Old Testament example of this is Naomi and Limelech in the book of Ruth, who the Bible says went to sojourn in Moab. Sojourn is like a vacation with an extra day on it. Just gonna sojourn, gonna sojourn, just gonna spend a little time there. The Bible says ten years later, and Moab was two or three graves richer, that Naomi comes back a broken woman into Bethlehem. You know, funny thing about it, nobody, nobody that yields and allows unfaithfulness to exist in their life, none of them intend on quitting altogether. I've never met one. I've never had one come to me and say, preacher, I'm quitting I'm done. I'm done praying. I'm done reading my Bible. I'm done going to church. I'm done living for God. I'm done and I'm over it. No, I've had some come to me and say, preacher, I just need a little break. Some of them still taking breaks. I'm serious, man. I don't know. (laughs) I had somebody say it years ago and they're out of church to this day. I'm talking about years ago. I'm talking about I was young. I had all my hair. I was young. Preacher, we just need a little break. We're just going to take a... They're still taking that break, man. You know what happened? That break broke them. Your unfaithfulness will hold you longer than you think it will. You say, Preacher, it's just for a little while. I'm just stepping back. I'm just taking a break. Number one, stepping back to what? If you're living a life of faithfulness and you're stepping back, then what are you stepping back to but unfaithfulness? You're either admitting what you're investing your life in is unimportant or you're admitting that in betraying and abandoning it, you're betraying and abandoning the best part of what God's doing in your life. I'd say this, it ensnared him. It dragged him further than he meant to go. And then notice not only unfaithfulness, it weakened him and it ensnared him. But but I want you to notice verses 9 through 14. This is a little bit to read, but that's all right. You can text your Uber driver, tell him to take a lap. It says in verse 9, He came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now this is a very simple question. Why are you here? What are you looking for, Elijah? What do you want me to do for you, Elijah? Listen to Elijah's answer. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth. Stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in at the entering end of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now this is a fascinating interaction. If you study the throne of God in Ezekiel chapter number 1, here's what you're going to find. Everything that Elijah heard from inside the cave was what Ezekiel saw when he saw the throne of God rolling towards him. He, he feels a great wind. Ezekiel describes it as the wind from the angel's wings. He he feels a great earthquake, but Elijah describes it as as the presence of God and the great mass of that throne rolling up. He, He describes a great fire going by, and Ezekiel describes it as a fire enfolding itself. And then at the very heart and center of that was the throne of God. So here's what happens. God pulls His throne up right outside the door of that cave. And then the reason the Bible says the Lord was not in this and not in this and not in this and not in this, not in this is it says in a still small voice. And it don't say he wasn't in that. You know why? Cause he was in that. That was him. He stopped and spoke to Elijah. Whoo! That fixed me! You'd think, wouldn't you? God asked him, what doest thou here Elijah? If it would me, I'd have said, huh, getting out of here, God. <laughs> getting back to where you want me to be. I don't know, God, what do you want me to do? Man, I'm ready, I'm fired up. Let's run all the way back to Jezreel and slap her in the mouth. But that's not what he says. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Denton change nothing. Well, preacher, you know, maybe if I found a church that was good enough. Hey, if God rolled up to the front door, that wouldn't be good enough. Wasn't good enough for Elijah. Well, preacher, if I found a place where folks really loved each other, I'm like a hippie commune or something. What do you think church is? You you, you think church is here for the building up and affirmation of your ego? Who told you this was about you? You misread a billboard somewhere. This is about Christ. It's not about you. It's not about me. You say, well, preacher, if I could just find the right place. No, the right place is where God is. And if that ain't good enough, nothing's going to be good enough for you. I would say it this way. Unfaithfulness dulled him. This is a man that had spent the last three years in deep communion with God, listening to everything God told him. God told him what brook to go to and what time of day the ravens would go by and he knew to be looking for him. God told him to go to the city of Zarephath and there would be a widow woman there and he was so obedient to God that the moment he's walking up, she's walking out. This is a man that had been in lockstep with God, listening deeply, closely to the voice of God day by day. But in his unfaithfulness, God pulls up his throne at the door and speaks to him, and Elijah don't even hear what God says. You know why we don't have a record of what God says? Because Elijah didn't know what God said. He couldn't have told you. He wasn't listening. And unfaithfulness, you know what it does? It dulls us spiritually. It prevents us from being able to hear the voice of God. And that's part of the reason when people get out, and then a lot of times, you know, I don't know, Christmas comes around, they'll go with somebody, they'll go, and it just don't mean nothing. Easter time will come, they'll come, and they'll say, and just don't mean nothing. People be getting saved. Yeah, that's it's good. You know, I remember years ago, you know what happened? That unfaithfulness, it dulls you. You'll open your Bible in a state of rebellion. You say, can't God speak to you? Yeah, He can, but I don't know that I'd count on Him doing it. You got rebellion in your heart. You'll pray, and it won't mean nothing. That's why being out ain't like being in, is because the only thing that makes in, in is God. And you turn your back on God, then out ain't going to be like in. I see the crippling of his unfaithfulness, and finally I see the cure to it. I'm glad unfaithfulness can be escaped. I've seen people that have allowed unfaithfulness to have a place in their life, and they committed their life to Christ, and they began just consistently following the Lord day by day, and probably for many of them it felt like starting all over again, but they were diligent and faithful and disciplined, and God got them back in. I'm glad it's not final. I'm glad it's not final. So how does it happen? Well, notice a few things. Number one, verse 5 says this. As he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold then, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and crews of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. Uh, it goes on to say, verse number 7, the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. You know, the first step is to start. To get up. Elijah would have never, he laid down, he he prayed, God kill me, laid down, and he had planned on laying there till he died. And when people get out, a lot of times really, if they're to be honest, they plan on laying there till they die. How's that gonna change? Well, first you gotta get up. You gotta start. God's first instruction was do what you can, get up, take the first step. If you don't start, you're not going to ever succeed. Notice there's two things here. Notice there's a false start. He gets up and eats and lays back down again. You know, a lot of people say, well, preacher, the reason I want to get back in is I know I couldn't stay in. I guarantee you won't if you never try. I guarantee you, you won't if you never try. Let me make you another guarantee. Chances are, even after you get in, there'll be times you mess up. Chances are, you get up and go this week, and then don't pay attention next week, you might lay out next week. You don't read your Bible, uh, or you get up and you read your Bible today, Tomorrow, there's a chance you may not. You're going to quit then again? There was a false start, but then notice there was a full start. He gets up, and uh, the, the angel tells him why, because the journey is too great for thee. Uh, and the Bible says in verse 8, uh, and it's amazing, you see it twice. In, in, in verse number 5, he said arise. In verse number 7, he said arise. Verse number 8, he arose. Uh, you know, the, the reality is this, you're going to have to start somewhere. You're going to have to start somewhere or you're going to stay in the shape that you're in. Uh, You're going to have to get up. You're going to have to go, preacher, I don't know if I can do it. Well, you're definitely not going to if you don't try. And if you give up the first time you mess up, you're going to stay messed up. The only thing that's going to change it is when you do mess up, get up again. You say, Preacher, what if Elijah had laid down again? The angel would have said, Arise. Preacher, what if Elijah had laid down again? The angel would have said, Arise. Preacher, what if Elijah had laid down again? I don't know, he might have killed him. But he would have told him, Arise. Yeah. Arise. You've got to start. I would say to start. Then verse 7, he says this, because the journey is too great for thee. Soberness. Soberness. Now, now when I say soberness, I don't, I don't just mean abstaining from drinking alcohol, which we should do. Alcohol a sin. It's a sin. It's a grief to God. Uh, it's a grief. To, you all right? I'm going to say it whether you amen or not. It's just more fun if you do. It's easier for you and me both. But I'm not talking about sobriety or soberness in that context or sense. I mean awareness. Awareness. He had to recognize that it was beyond him. He couldn't do it. Can I tell you a little secret? Insider secret. You ready? They'd trade on this in Congress make a bunch of money. Can I tell you you a little secret? Ain't none of us do it flawlessly. And the only way any of us do it, if we do it at all, is through daily submitting ourselves to the Lord. It's too much for any of us. The only difference is you look at it and you're daunted because what you see is you see a mass mountain of days that you have to commit to God. And you're looking at it wrong. You don't commit the next four million days to God. You commit the next day to God. You recognize, I can't do it in and of myself. I've got to commit today to the Lord. I'll tell you a little secret that may wound your pride. It's not just that you're not good enough to get through the next 20 years. You're not good enough to get through the next 20 minutes. And the sooner you recognize that, the sooner you'll quit leaning on yourself and leaning on Him and just doing your best to serve Him day by day. I'd say soberness. And then I'd say this, we need the Scriptures. Verse number 8, He arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. I remember reading a man saying one time, if you ever buy a history book and it doesn't have a map in it, throw it away. If you're not familiar with the geography of what's going on here, Horeb is a pretty important place. There's another name you probably know it by, and it's the name Sinai. This is where the Word of God was given to Moses. This is where God, this wasn't the first time this throne had been to this mountain. It had sat down on it hundreds of years earlier when God dispensed the law to Moses. So what's Elijah doing? He's going back to the place of Scriptures. Can I tell you how faithfulness happens in our life? Because none of us are humble enough or self-aware enough to keep ourselves honest. Only by daily communing in the Word of God... Will the flaws and weaknesses in our life be shown to us in real time, in personal way, to help us to adjust our life. I'd say the Scriptures. And then I'd say this, the Spirit. The Bible says, verse number 12, that after the earthquake there was a fire, and the Lord was not in the fire, but after the fire there was a still, small voice. And we know that was the voice of God present upon that altar. But did you know that in your life and in mine, we also have a still, small voice that speaks to us, and that's the indwelling of the Spirit of God in our life. In other words, the only way we are faithful is by letting the Spirit of God lead us. Ah, man, you don't even know what kind of mess I'd make. I mean, you don't even have a clue what a mess I'd make of my life listening to me. I get scared some. You know, there are people out there crazy enough to listen to me. And, and, and sometimes I'm scared, man, for those people. I'm thinking, I, I know me. Can't you find somebody better than me to listen to? And I know what a mess I would make of my life. And so, you know, the only way I can produce faithfulness in my life is by listening to the Spirit of God as He chastens me and corrects me and guides me and directs me day by day. That's how faithfulness is produced in your life, not by just you willing it to be, but rather by you being humble enough to say, I don't know how to run my life, but God does. And if God will tell me, I'll obey Him and allow Him to lead me. And then there's another thing. You know, it's interesting. Uh, verse number 15, the Lord said unto him, Go... Return on my way to the wilderness of Damascus, and then he gives Elijah some instructions. You know, anoint Hazael, anoint Jehu. Uh, he that escapes Hazael, you know, Jehu will slay. He that escapes, you know, uh, Elisha will slay. But but when you read in the book of Romans about God's answer back to Elijah, Elijah's big complaint is this: I'm the only one left. Nobody cares. They're trying to kill me. You're a play God. You've messed everything up, God. Now what? And the Bible says in the book of Romans that God's answer back to him is actually directly verse 18. He gives him those other instructions, but God's reply is verse 18. He says, Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. I'll tell you a dangerous, vicious cycle here. Unfaithful people tend to gravitate towards unfaithful people because it soothes their conscience about their unfaithfulness. Have you ever noticed odd times people that get out of church together tend to hang out a lot together on Sundays? You know why? Because all their other friends are already busy on Sunday. So they've got to have somebody and so unfaithfulness gravitate. Can I tell you the opposite's true? Faithfulness encourages faithfulness. Elijah says, I'm the only one left. God says, I wouldn't be so foolish as that, Elijah. I wouldn't trust it all to you. I've got 7,000. Here's what he's saying, Elijah. Won't you go find some of them, fellas? They'll help you. They'll encourage you. They'll lead you. I'd say this. You know what we need? We need to start. Number one, we need to start. We need soberness. We need the Scriptures. We need the Spirit. We need the saints. We need the people of God. We need each other. We need to encourage one another. I don't mean policing each other's life. Right. Right. But I mean, we need to be encouraged by the example of faithfulness in other people. I, one of the things God blessed me with when I was a young pastor coming to Walridge was old people. I'm serious. I, I mean that seriously. That, that's not, I mean, you know, you can laugh, that's, but, but I mean that seriously. God blessed me with old people. And one of it part of it is I get along with them. I like them, and uh, they moderately tolerate me. We talk about a lot of the same things and, and stuff like that. but it also gave me examples of faithfulness. Uh, these are people whose names you're not going to find written in, in the National Archives. You're, you're, not going to, you're not going to find their their names emblazoned on lights. But Ken, you've known people like this, but Charlie, you you are one of these people. The the people who probably, but they've exhibited a life of faithfulness. And I learned this. Most pastors, I remember years ago, I I called all my pastors because I thought, I'm doing something wrong. (laughs) You ever been putting together something and and you just get that sick feeling in the middle of it that you're a sense I'm missing something? Um, you put together there a barbecue grill or a bookshelf and you look down and, you've, and all of a sudden you, you've got a shopping cart and you don't know how that happened. You think, ah, I did something wrong here. I got to feeling a little bit of ways in the pastor and I thought, I'm not sure I'm getting this. I started calling my pastor friends and I'd say, those that had seen any amount of success, and I'd ask them, I'd say, now, when did everything change for you about this or about that? I'd say, I don't know. I'd say, "Well, what are some of the things that you did that led to great success?" I'd say, I don't know. I'd say, "Well, give me some of your top 10 secrets for ministry." I'd say, "I don't know. After cussing a few of them out and hanging up on them, God pressed on my heart this truth. And one of them finally articulated, he said, "Bro Toby, here's what I did. I stayed." Statistics would tell you the average span is about two years for a pastor. He said, "I stayed." Can I tell you the difference between those that have successful lives for Christ and those that don't? They stay. They don't have to be awesome. They have to be faithful. They don't have no secret. They just have to be faithful. God blesses our faithfulness. And He will bless your faithfulness in your life. He cannot bless that faithfulness if there is none. Preacher, I don't know if I could do what they could do. Nobody's asking you to. Be faithful to God. Preacher, I don't know if I could accomplish what... Nobody's asking you to. Be faithful to God. And if you'll be faithful to God, you'll be amazed at what God can do in your life. Let's bow together this morning. Here ought to be the heart and prayer of every person in this room. God, make me faithful. Preacher, I feel like I am faithful. If you are, it's by Him and not by you. So you ought to be asking Him to help make you faithful. Help keep you faithful. Say, preacher, not faithful like I wish I was. Why don't you start this morning by getting up out of your seat and coming down Asking God to forgive you of unfaithfulness and asking God to help you to be faithful. Uh, you say, preacher, but, but I might, I might mess up. No, I guarantee you will. But the only thing that's going to cripple and stop you is if you're unwilling to get up and come to the Lord and give him your heart once again and let him help you start afresh and anew. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.